Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you guys. All right. Thought I would wake you guys up for just a second, make sure you're there. All right. So it's good to see you guys. We're just uh, in the second week of our sermon series entitled Living on the Edge. So just wanted to, uh, to share with you um, that last week, for some of you that were here, we showed a series of pictures of people hanging on the side of a cliff. And when you first see these pictures, your heart drops. Because obviously in the backdrop, you know they're hanging and they're, they're just hanging over thousands and thousands of feet. And if they would let go, they would just, again, they would go to see Jesus. So, so uh, there were in these different positions, there was even a couple that, that were just um, sitting there and, and having a kiss. And I thought that was a little crazy because the guy was on the edge and the wife was probably sitting there or the girlfriend was sitting right on top. But then uh, on top of the edge of the cliff. And so they were just kind of hanging around. And when I first saw these pictures on Facebook, I saw a laughy face at the bottom, as I told you. I said, something's up with this. So I scrolled down a little bit more. And here was a green screen. (laughs) They were hanging just three feet off the ground, and it made it look so real. People from Brazil were making it look so real that they were hanging with thousands and thousands of feet below them. And all they had to do is just take that one little step, and they were just living on that edge. And I likened it to, for us, when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, sometimes we have that feeling like, oh my gosh, I got to share and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. I'd rather jump. I mean, this is crazy. The fear, the enormous amount of fear to imagine that you would have to share this gospel. Afraid that if someone asked you a deep-seated question, you wouldn't know how to respond to it. Afraid that... When you go to share it, it would seem really awkward because people are not talking about it. You don't listen often on TV and hearing the gospel preached. Years ago, it was Billy Graham, but today you don't see too often of that. You have to go online and catch what you want to catch. But living on the edge of sharing your gospel, sharing the gospel is living on the edge, is is something that each day we as Christians would rather just back up and say, I'd rather be in some comfortable place right now over here and not walk in my faith of Christ living on the edge. I'm comfortable here. It's sure ground. I don't have to be afraid of heights. I can continue living here, and it's comfortable, and it's convenient, and I can still do what I want to do, and occasionally, maybe if I feel like, feel like it if it's an optional thing. I'll share the gospel only if it comes to me, but I may share it. I may not. It's an option to me, but I believe that living on the edge is what God is calling us to do, and so often when we see Christianity in America today, it seems like it's over here, but what does the Bible say over here, and how do we live like that? And I think that's why we have to ask ourselves the question often, what does it mean to live on the edge? You see this picture of a person who's possibly just, I guess he's hiking, and he's looking over the edge of a cliff and seeing the panoramic view of God and how he's created all things, but just one misstep, and he can fall over the edge and to his death. And so we talked about last week about being initiators, taking that step of faith because that three-foot drop I likened it to the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's setting it all up. He's the initiator. The Holy Spirit's setting up the opportunity, the appointment, where God's going to give you some opportunity to share the gospel. It's just three feet. 
But to us, when we think about sharing the gospel, it's thousands of feet down, and we're looking over and saying, no, I can't do it. And so we have to continually remind ourselves that sharing the gospel is necessary for moving forward in the, for the kingdom of God. And so I, we talked about that last week. This week, we want to talk about being imitators. And how does that relate to evangelism? We talked about proclaiming evangelism. We talked about presence evangelism. And we talked about persuasion evangelism. You can't have one without the other, but ultimately God is doing that work in all three of them. Because as we're proclaiming, he's setting it up. As we're presenting our lives, he's setting it up. As we're asking God to persuade others to faith in Christ, he's setting it up. And so it's key that we understand what does it mean to be an imitator today? Well, I've got a couple of questions here. What do you emulate or what did you emulate? Who did you emulate when you were younger? I know for me, I'm going to age myself just a little bit. Some of you younger people are going to laugh, but uh, maybe some of you older people are going to laugh. I loved Michael Jackson. I mean, that, that was like, hee, hee, hee. I mean, anything. I would just go around. Now, I wouldn't wear the glove, but I would just about do it. And I obviously didn't have his, his body type because I'm much bigger. But I could see that. I was a little thinner back in the day. So I would sit there, and I would just do anything. I mean, when I was a young kid and Thriller came on, it came on by the hour, I sat there, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. I mean, I was just watching it every hour. And there's a Thriller. And I would just sit there and do all the moves. And so I was going crazy. I was so excited. And I mean, everything, anything Michael Jackson, I just loved. And I wanted to imitate Michael, although it looked funny sometimes, but I did it. And then there's Rocky Balboa. Of course, you guys know about my, my, my fondness for Rocky Balboa and everything about Rocky. And then the Incredible Hulk. When the Incredible Hulk, the show, Lou Ferrigno came out, I mean, it was just incredible. I loved the Incredible Hulk. I always sit there and try to be like the Incredible Hulk. But then there was, I'm going to date myself a little bit more. Then there was Happy Days. How many of you remember Happy Days? Probably like two hands up. Okay, oh, no, there's some more. Okay. The Fonz, you know, I mean, I would sit there and go, and I'd wear the shirt, and I'd be walking, and everybody would be like, you're weird. I'm like, but it was fun. It was a culture is what we tried to do. Or some of you who you may want to know that it's possible you will relate to that, but I'm going to list off a couple of names. Who was the actor, the singer, or the intellect that you wanted to follow as you got a little older? Okay, again, we're going to age some of us in the house here. Some of you, and I'm going to go a little bit back further, maybe it was Rock Hudson or James Dean or John Wayne, right? Some of you, oh, us older, I'm going to say us older, but I, that was even before me. Elvis Presley, James Kahn. By the way, James Kahn was supposed to be Rocky until Sylvester Stallone came around. Uh, or it's The Who, Aerosmith. Commodores, The Temptations, Motown, or Lawrence Welk. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Lawrence Welk was, uh, it was something. You only have four channels, and we only had one TV, and my parents put on Lawrence Welk, and uh, I was like, it was torture for me. Uh, Dean Martin, thanks Frank Sinatra. For some of you, it could be Journey, Def Leppard, Van Halen, Bon Jovi, The Eagles, Fleetwood Mac, or we'll go a little bit younger now, um, Boys to Men, Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, Backstreet Boys, New Kids on the Block, New Edition, NSYNC or Lip Sync, B.I.G., P. Diddy, P. Diddy. Or let's go a little younger, Destiny's Child, Jodeci, Beyonce, Rihanna, Alicia Keys, Jay-Z, Kanye West, The Avenger Movies, Justice League, Fast and Furious. I mean, it goes on and on and on, but here's the thing. We are just infiltrated with all this media. And when the media is in front of us, we're, we're, we're learning as we're watching. 
We don't realize the subliminal messages that are coming at us. I mean, during COVID, they said that the hours that a child, or even for even some older, but especially the school-age child, was at least eight hours, at least eight hours a day. Because they had to have their interaction with their friends. I know my daughter, she was online a lot with her friends. That was her interaction. That was her community. That was her relationships with her friends. But prior to COVID, it was probably around six hours. Still a lot of hours. And as parents, we have to monitor that because they're being fed. But how about us? Netflix, LMN movies. I know they're kind of weird. Hallmark, whatever, whatever show you watch. We're watching all these shows, and we're getting just the messages that are coming across us. We're in some indirect way imitating people around us, fashion, clothes, the way we walk, the way we talk. I remember when Grease came out or Saturday Night Fever. It was like, and I can't tell by the way I do your work. And we were just like, and we were just like this, and we're just trying to walk like John Travolta. I mean, all of this, you, you don't even realize you're doing it, but you're trying to do it. And we're becoming imitators of the media and the celebrities around us. But what's happening? I mean, you hear it. Why are we trying to imitate those around us? As Christians, as believers, who do you want to imitate as a believer? Who do we want to imitate as a believer? I mean, that's what I, we've got to ask that question. Because in the media, what they're feeding us, what they're showing us with character and marriages. I mean, J-Lo just got a new boyfriend. I mean, and she has as many boyfriends as I breathe or I take a breath. I mean, it's like it's oh, on and on and on and on. How are we going to live like this? We see the media and we see all that's around us. And yet we want to imitate because we love the talent. We can see and we appreciate the talent. But we got to see the character. I'm not getting legalistic here. I'm just simply saying we've got to see what we're doing and who are we trying to imitate. But ultimately... As a believer, what are we trying to do in imitating? Are we trying to truly imitate Jesus Christ? I know many of us would say that if, if any of us walked up, who are you looking to imitate as a believer? Most would say, of course, Jesus Christ. So then I ask the question, what are you doing? How are you living to show that, to confirm that answer? I mean, I would just love to be like Paul, the apostle. I would love to imitate with Paul because we'll see that shortly, the, 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 that it was the Lord Jesus, Paul, and the Thessalonians. But this is what's going to have to happen. My priorities would need to change. My spending habits would need to change. My TV time would need to change. My hobbies would need to change. I would need to remove my idols. You might say, really? Do you need to really go there, Bruno? I mean, now you just hit a nerve. I mean, do I have to be that committed to the faith in Christ? Well, God's calling us to live on the edge. See, it's not optional. Paul didn't live a life where he chose because it was optional. He was commanded to do it, and he followed suit. He obeyed God. God didn't say, well, I'll give Paul a command, but the rest of us in America, we're back here. This is your command. Be comfortable. No. Party on, dude. You know, excellent. No, it's not that. It's live, living on the edge is what's expected for each one of us. I know it's difficult. I know it's challenging. I know it's like thousands of feet down and you're ready to say, I'd just rather jump. Or you're just saying, wow, if I could just trust God for that one step, then it would just be two or three foot. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's doing that. And then he's saying, go ahead, take another step. Two or three foot. 
oh, that wasn't so bad. Because the Holy Spirit sets it up that way. There's nothing special about any one of us. Paul, in and of himself, it's not as though he was a special man. God appointed him to be a special man. God set him up. He had the same Holy Spirit in him that you and I have the Holy Spirit in us today. There's no two Holy Spirits. There's only one. And the Holy Spirit wants to work in all of us. But we have to be called to be imitators of the gospel. That's what's so key for us. I want you to just look with me to Acts chapter 17, 1 through 4. And I want to read this because this is important in the backdrop of what Paul was doing because he was just coming out of a couple of difficult situations in Acts 17, 1 through 4. It says, now when they had passed through Amphilius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. You've got to understand where there was a synagogue of the Jews. There's 100 miles between those cities. Now, if someone were to walk that on a day's journey, it's about two or three days journey and just about 30 miles back then. It could be a one day journey with just horseback, but most people would, you know, they would have to walk it and some would get the horses. But either way, it could be a couple of days journey in between or it could be two weeks by the time they reach to Thessalonica. What does that tell us? It tells us the priority and the passion the hunger that he wanted to share Christ with others, that he wanted to start churches, that he wanted to obey God's command for him to go and to share all around Asia Minor for the commitment of proclaiming the gospel. And then verse 2, it says, And when Paul went in to the synagogue, as was his custom, on the three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. He reasoned with them. He proclaimed the gospel. We'll see just in a minute he, how he did that. But he was drawing that out. And so it's important for us to see that as we look at this passage, it goes on explaining and providing that it was necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer and to rise from the dead. So that's the message of the gospel. And saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and a not a few of the leading women. So here's what he did. He proclaimed the gospel. Just like I showed the gospel last week, here we go again, proclaiming the gospel. So number one, Paul proclaimed the gospel. He proclaimed the power of God. Now, where do we see the power of God? Really simple. It's a simple spot right here. It's a simple teaching, Acts 17.3. Here it is. Explaining and proving it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead resurrection. That's where the power of the Holy Spirit moved. When he died, he died in the place of sinners. And when he rose, he rose from the dead. You and I, when we pass from this life, where there's a promise that those who are in Christ will rise with Christ and will be, will be in his presence forever. An assurance of eternal life, the forgiveness of sin, peace, joy, and hope. We already have that in Christ. And the promise is that Jesus, who rose from the dead, we too, after we die, will rise with him. That's a promise. There's the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit who now lives in us is permanent and indwelling. He lives in us. He reveals to us that we need to do about the work. And what's that work? To proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, the Holy Spirit, his work is to, is to glorify Jesus. And Jesus is to glorify the Father. That's what brings the unity of the three in the Trinity. And so the Holy Spirit is working, and there's a power that's there. 
It's a movement. So when he's explaining, he's proving it. He's demonstrating it. And it was necessary. The word necessary is a unique word in the Greek. It's a day verb that says that it must happen, that, he, it, that it had to happen. It was necessary for Christ to do it. Why? To save us from our sin. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Even in Romans chapter 1, 3, and 4, Paul sets it, sets it up again. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared, appointed. That's what the word declared means, appointed of God. Similar to what I said last week, it was set before the foundations of the earth to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the gospel. That's what we have. And then I love when Paul says, Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation, to everyone who believes, to the Jew and first then and to the Greek. And he's sharing this. Why? Because the word ashamed, if you think about it, means this. It means a feeling of pain or a sense of loss of status because of a particular activity. So here, he was not ashamed. He was, he was fine with having pain. He was not concerned about his reputation. He was not concerned about his pleasures. He was not concerned about his comfort. He was not concerned about his dreams. He was not concerned about his agenda. He was only concerned with the gospel. He was, living to, he was willing to live on the edge to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was willing to die for the gospel, which he did. And then as he did, he didn't care. It wasn't about him. He was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you and I need to come to that grips as a Christian today in our American evangelicalism to not look at it with an optional perspective, but to see that it's a command of ours. It's a command from God that we have to proclaim the gospel. We're giving you guys resources. We talked about the cards last week, and I'll share it again. And it's so important for us to understand that we have opportunities to share the gospel. And see, that's what I love. Number two, Paul proclaimed the passion of God. Now, this is, again, very simple, the passion of God. Very simple. Look at this in this verse. To suffer. That's all. That's the word for passion. It's to suffer. The Greek word means pain, suffering, willing to sacrifice any agenda or dream, anything for ourselves, even go through the pain, even willing to live on the edge for the sake of sharing the gospel. Paul did that. There was a passion. It was necessary for Jesus to die. He knew that God had the passion. See, God has passion to share his son. And God, the Missio Dei, sends his son. And why he sends his son, it's for a purpose, to die on the cross in place for sinners. And then when he rose from the dead, he gave us new life. The power of the Holy Spirit took us from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom light of his son. And when we proclaim the gospel and someone trusts in the person and work of Jesus Christ, they're set free. They're saved from the dead of sin. They can now have the assurance of eternal life. They can be forgiven of their sin. They can walk with peace with God. And then when you and I, we have that, that gospel, when we know that we're saved, now we live on the edge and we proclaim it. We're called to proclaim it. It's not optional. It's a, it's a proclamation that is a command from God that we need to go and proclaim what he's done for us. I love, Jesus said it himself. He said it to them. This is written 
that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That's the gospel. And I love it. And Paul proclaimed it wherever he went. Number three, it's also the persuasion of God. The persuasion of God. As we see again in verse 4 of Acts 17, 4, it says, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. The word persuade is to be convinced. Here were Jews that were convinced, and here was Paul living on the edge to proclaim the gospel because they could have easily just said, you know what, um, we're going to put this guy in jail, and we're going to remove him, and we're not going to allow this moment or this movement go or this momentum to go. We're going to put him away. We saw that. We saw that in the earlier part of Acts with Peter and James and John, all of them being put into jail for proclaiming the gospel. But God didn't appoint for Paul to be placed in jail. He was proclaiming the gospel. And he saw that it was a persuasion of God. God so desired to persuade others to himself because he desires relationship. He hungers to have that. That's why he provided his son. That's why Jesus had to be separated from the Father in that moment on the cross so that you and I could have relationship with God, so we could have peace with God. And so if we have this peace with God and we have this salvation, why would we not share it? Why would we not share and proclaim the gospel? Because he's changed our lives. See, Paul was sitting here saying, this has changed my life, and I want to share it with others. It wasn't just sharing a message. He was more than just doing that. He wanted to be sure that everybody understood the persuasion was for a purpose. That's why Paul called, or God called Paul and Silas to go and strengthen the churches. Him and Mark in chapter 15 were separated. They had a dispute. But God called them, and the church in Jerusalem sent them off. And they wanted the others to, to come to faith in Christ, and they did. Even the Greeks did. Even the devout Greeks, those who would go to the synagogues, Greek-speaking, who were Jews even, would go to the synagogues. As the dysphoria occurred all around Asia Minor, people were speaking in different languages, and they came together. And they joined Paul, and they joined Silas, and they wanted to share the gospel with them. And they began to create and move, and God was starting a church. See, our mission is to proclaim the message and lead others to maturity in Christ. That's the mission of the church. That's the mission that Paul had. He was commissioned in chapter 13. He was courageous and committed to pro proclaim the gospel. He imitated Jesus Christ by traveling all around the region of Asia Minor to plant churches and to suffer even so. So let me just share something with you. We need to understand something. You want to start a church? The people need to proclaim the gospel. You want to maintain the local church? The people need to proclaim the gospel. You want to advance the local church? The people need to proclaim the gospel. If the purpose of the church is to make disciples, then we need to proclaim the gospel. That's what, it, that's what it all comes down to. And we need to live accordingly. And when God has called his people in the local church is to make disciples, which is the purpose, then making disciples means to be imitators of Christ. In our character, in our conduct, in everything we say and do, people will see and make a difference. They'll say, hey, wait a minute. You're proclaiming the gospel, and I see something different in you. What's different about you? Well, let me share again about the gospel. See, we're not really going to proclaim the gospel ultimately until we really experience the gospel in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we see God working in our lives, when we see that he saves us, that he's changing us, that he's transforming us. So with you and I, when we're being discipled, we have to share the gospel. Here's the problem with the church today. We're not doing a really good job 
with making disciples. Because if we were making disciples, we wouldn't just be concerned about all the people that come to church all the time. We would train our people to go out and share the gospel. And then as they share the gospel, people will come out. And then we grow together, we have community, we do life groups, we do, we do what we call discipleship, growing and training, but ultimately we grow in our faith so we can share the gospel. But we have to experience it in order to do so. It's not what we do in this room that's going to make a difference. Ultimately, it's going to what we do outside of this room. We can come together, and this is necessary. It's important to gather together in community, to gather together corporately and worship together. But what we do from here is what's really going to count. People are going to see Christ in us, and we've got to imitate Christ in everything we do. We can't imitate the world. We can't imitate celebrities. We can't imitate those who are musicians or actors because they're a mess. We can't do that. Their character is a mess. But we sure enough imitate Christ, and when we do, when we allow God to work in our lives, when we allow the gospel to work in our lives, then we can proclaim the gospel when we're models for Jesus, and then we can be messengers for Jesus because we got the message. And that's the key. And that's what we have to see and gather and understand. And that's why we need to be imitators. So here's a couple of things I just want to share with you. We need to be Christ's imitators, intentionally, living out. How do we live that out? One, we live it by the power of God. Okay, we're going to see the message. Paul proclaimed the gospel, the power of God. How do we live it out? By the power of God. So I'm imitating this message right here. See, the key thing is that it's the message is no different. We just got to model it in our lives. Look at, with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 4, and 5, because this is important. Because from Acts, what we see is that we have Acts chapter 17 correlating with 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And so he's encouraging the Thessalonians. He's encouraged them to continue as he says, you've been a people, just a labor in love and a people of faith and a people who are steadfast in hope. And now verse 4, he says this, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because of our gospel. Because of our gospel. And it came to you not only in a word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that's moving in the lives. I love this book, The Word of God. I mean, we see it. We have it in all different forms, all different versions, and uh, you know, different books, different colors. We can have them you know, smaller, larger, large print, small print. I don't know how you people can read in small print, but you got large print, and you have all these different. It's black and white, and it's a beautiful book, and it's got great stories, and it sets people's it has a message that sets people free from their sin. And it's a special revelation, but without the power of the Holy Spirit, it can't speak. It's the Holy Spirit that lives in us. I can attest of that when I, in 1988, tried to read the Bible, tried as, an, as a Catholic, and it didn't work. I was reading, I was reading, it made no sense to me. I kept reading, I'm like, why does this Bible not make any sense? And then I trust in Christ, and all of a sudden, someone's discipling me, the pastor takes me under his wing, and it's like, oh my gosh. This is awesome. I couldn't get enough of it. I just kept reading it because it was the power of the Holy Spirit that was living in me. And the power of the Holy Spirit that's working in me. And it's telling me I need to proclaim this gospel. I got to tell you something. I proclaimed it everywhere. I, everywhere I went, hey, I would change the subject every time. Hey, man, you like hamburgers? Uh, yeah, I like hamburgers. But you know that hamburgers are bad for you. And then if you die, well, you know where you're going when you die. People are like, what? I'm like, yeah, man. You know, you know where you're going to die. I mean, all I ask you is that 
do you like hamburgers? I know, but I'm going to switch it and tell you about Jesus. Because that's how I was. And people looked at me a little weird, and I was learning. But it was just it was, it was a new love. And I was excited, and I, I was rough around the edges. But I just wanted to share the gospel because he changed my life. And he's still changing it. And he hasn't given up on me. He still loves me. And I've grown to love him more. It was a beautiful, beautiful message that changed my life, but it was the power of the Holy Spirit. And I was convinced. Convicted means to be certain, fully assured. That's the beauty of God. That's what he wants to do in our lives. And that's important for us to see. Paul was an intelligent man. He was a lawyer. He was a Jew. He was zealous for God. But you know what? He knew even though he was intellect, he was zealous for God, he still knew that it was only the power of the Holy Spirit that moves, changes lives. It wasn't what he said. It ultimately was what the Holy Spirit did. Let me read with you to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and it says... And I, when Paul writes, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. He was a man who was intelligent but was afraid. And my speech and my message were not, not implausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I want to tell you something. Many of you will be afraid to share the gospel. Many of you saying, I don't know the Bible like you do, Bruno. It doesn't matter. Paul was a far more intelligent man than I could ever imagine or dream of being. He was a man who was a lawyer. He was a Jew. He was, he was an intellect. He was a Pharisee. He knew the law. He knew the word. But here he comes to faith in Christ and he was afraid. He was trembling. He knew. He knew the power of God. He experienced, he experienced the power of God and he knew that it was only through the power of God that people's lives would be changed. He knew it was the power of God that would remove the veil from their eyes. And see, you and I, I want you to know, if you're afraid, that's okay. If you're afraid, you're saying, but I don't know what to say. It's all right. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. All you have to do is read the word of God and learn it. Look, if, if, if I said to you, here's a piece of paper, I want you to learn this, and if you do, you're going to make $10,000 more, I would know I'd have a line all the way up here. I'd have a line all up here and saying, uh, you got any more money? Because I'll, I'll, I'll fill out that paper. What do I got to learn? Uh, you need to learn for like eight or ten weeks this thing that I'm going to tell you about. All you would go in the dungeon, you'd stop watching TV, stop watching all your shows, and you're saying, I want to make that extra $10,000. How come we're not in the word of God? How come we're not saying God? Help me to learn your message. Use this to help me reach many people. Why? Because it's not popular today. The media doesn't talk about it. They put us down. They discourage it. They want to crucify Jesus. But God will give us the words to speak. And all we have to do is just study some. And when we do, our priorities will change. Our hobbies will change. Our lives will change. Because all we have to do is recognize that God wants to do a work. See, the gospel doesn't depend on the ability to communicate it. See, it didn't depend on it. It says it's, to, it's God's power to convict the sinner. 
The gospel doesn't depend on man's ability to communicate it, but God's power to convict the sinner. And God is often working through our weaknesses rather than our strengths. God wants to use because it's our weaknesses that God so desires because that's where he's at work. Number two, Christ's imitators intentionally live with the passion of God, with the passion. So it's by the power of God, with the passion of God. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.6, it says this, and you became imitators, Paul speaking of us to the Thessalonians, and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You know, just let me stop here a second. There's a, I call it a three-generational spiritual movement there. There's Jesus, there's Paul, and there's the Thessalonians. See, the Thessalonians didn't allow the affliction and the struggle and the difficulty and the trial and the tribulation when the Jews were coming after them with a mob to come and, just, and come after them to, to stop the momentum in the movement. No, they, they, they didn't want to do that. They just kept proclaiming the gospel because God changed their lives. But they saw that they're imita they, they imitated Jesus and Paul. They saw what the Lord Jesus did on behalf of them. And they saw what Paul was willing to do by traveling many, many miles to proclaim the gospel. They saw the model live, the model live out. They saw that these people who were before them, the, the Lord Jesus and Paul, they were willing to follow. They were willing to mimic. They were willing to emulate. They were willing to imitate. I mean, that's what they were doing. They had all of these pressures, outward pressures to come in because they were getting death threats. They were being persecuted. They were being beaten up. But yet, they were still willing for the sake of the gospel to be an imitator of Jesus Christ and the Lord. It's not a popular thing today. It's not something that you and I would be willing to. I mean, at times when we see in our American media, they discourage it and we fall into that trap. But this is what happened. Even in chapter 17 of Acts, this is what happened. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabbis, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. Jason was the one who kept Paul and Silas. And they attacked him, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason. And some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. These men who claim to live on the edge to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have turned the world upside down, who are getting people to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we've crucified. This momentum is working. we got to stop it. We won't allow it to happen. I don't know about you, but with me, it gets me excited because I'm like, you know what? If anybody's going to come after me or come against me, that's when I really want to be bold. Because someone's going to tell me not to proclaim the gospel. I'm going to proclaim the gospel. Paul was willing to do that with great passion. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to say, that's it. Because God was passionate enough to send his son. And you and I have that opportunity. They were with a great affliction. I mean, he goes on later. It says, and Jason had received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, meaning these are the Jews placing accusations, saying that there is another King Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason, and the rest, they let him go. They would give them a hard time. They were stopping them, slowing them down, trying to get them to stop to proclaim the gospel. But they wouldn't take it. 
they said, no, we're going to continue. Even in our afflictions, even in our struggles, even in our difficulties, they're going to take it. Remember, Paul did it. Paul continued. I mean, Paul, you see the situation that was in front of them over and over and over again, and they continued. In chapter 16, they were in jail. In, the, in, in Philippi, they were in jail, and God brought an earthquake and saved them. They were singing hymns and singing out praises to God and praying in the midst of their affliction, and God saved them. And then he also saved the jailer and his entire family. They proclaimed the gospel, and in the midst of their affliction, there was joy in the midst of it, because the joy of the Holy Spirit overtook all the pain that they were going through. God gives us that passion to want to move forward. You know, I, I get this Voice of the Martyrs magazine, and there was a story in there about a woman who lost her husband in Ethiopia. The Islamic militants came, and they burned the churches, the houses, the clinics all down. They even just lit people up on fire threw gasoline on them and just threw a match and just lit them on fire. They died right in front of them. This woman saw her husband die in front of her, all for the sake of the gospel. You know, she's praising God. I know this would sound a little bit strange. She was praising God. She said in the article, I was praising the Lord as the flames were going up. She, just, she said, I will not stop praising my God. There's some deep, serious commitment in these folks who are living in third world countries, they are committed to the end. There's a passion. They don't mind suffering for the kingdom because they know that their Lord Jesus suffered. They know Paul suffered. They saw and they wanted to imitate Jesus and Paul. You and I see that throughout, that sometimes it does. It has to, God often works through our afflictions rather than through our accolades. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're going through a really difficult marriage. Maybe you're struggling because you have kids that you're dealing with. God wants to save you. He wants to set you apart. Number three, Christ imitators in, intentionally live for the per persuasion of God. For the persuasion of God. Again, God wants to persuade people to come to faith. Look what it says here in verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth for you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Why? It says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. They were imitators of the gospel. They were imitators of Jesus. They were imitators of Paul, and they received Paul was received with great love and all the apostles and when they were received with great love they saw their faith and they saw even in the midst of affliction they realized that they wanted to see others to come to faith in Jesus Christ and there was a report it didn't go on Facebook it didn't go on Instagram it didn't get on the news it was a report and it was traveling and it didn't travel very fast but they heard of their faith and that's what you and I we have a chance to proclaim the gospel and here's what happened how did they proclaim it? Paul said, and how you turn to God from idols to, to serve the living and true God. Their lives changed. God moved in their midst. Service is a word that just, it just simply means a passion to want to give up whatever you want to live for and to serve only outside of you. Any commitment or purpose outside of you. That's what was happening here. Paul was sitting here and saying, that's what service was about. And Paul was willing to do it for the kingdom of God. 
And so were the Thessalonians. They turned, they lived for the true living God. He's alive, and their faith showed it. And he was true, not like these false gods that were the idols that were around them. He was true living God, living faith. And God wants to do that in you and I. So I ask the question, how is Christ living out in you? How are people seeing anything different in you? Who are you imitating? Who am I imitating? How are people going to see Christ in us? How do we proclaim the gospel? Yes, we proclaim it through word, but we have to proclaim it through our presence, through the way we live our lives. And we can persuade others for the kingdom of God. That's what it's going to take. God is committed to doing that. That's why God often works through our perseverance so we can gain a greater perspective. See, the last part of that Thessalonians passage is that ultimately, here's the the end. Verse 10, he says, And wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The gospel. So in justification, sanctification, glorification, through perseverance, through struggle, through difficulty, through afflictions, through trials, God is saying we need to await for the hope of glory, the living hope. That's what carries us through. And when God, he so desires to persuade others to faith, he wants us to see that work done. But he's going to do it only through us. He's going to do it only through us. You know, you guys, we have these cards. You have an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. We have plenty of them. They're in all kinds of forms. I said it was a, it's a bookmark. It could be an, a larger card where you have a presentation of the gospel with a prayer on it. It could be a bookmark. You can place it on your refrigerator. Or if you're reading a book, you can put it inside your book. And it reminds you to share the gospel. You can carry these with you and you can share it. This past Wednesday I did. I was out to breakfast with someone in our church. I didn't have a card on me. I forgot to get them. <laughs> but I had my lead pastor card. And I shared with this person, I said, hey, I want to share with you that I'm a pastor of a church nearby locally. I would love to invite you to come out. And I want to share with you what it means to know God. And she, she stopped me. She goes, um, I grew up as a Christian. Um, I went to Christian school. And I went to church all the time. She goes, I went with my parents. I went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I said, okay. I said, we don't have that anymore. She goes, you don't? I said, no, we don't have Sunday nights anymore. Wednesday nights, I said, are for our student ministry. Do you have any children? She goes, I have 11-year-olds. I said, I would love for you to invite, invite you to come and drop off your child. She goes, well, I work on Sundays. I can't come on Sundays. I said, could you change your schedule? Change your, your, you know, your shift and come out to church for once? And she says, I might consider that. She goes, you might see me soon. And the person I was with saying, wow, it's a great church. I want to encourage you to come out. It's just a simple little invitation. Share the gospel. Present it to them. See where God takes that. He'll give you an opportunity. It's really that simple. Because when you see, it's very, very important for us to be intentional. Now, how can we be intentional? Let me just share this with you. How can we be intentional? One, pray. Pray that opportunity, God will give you an opportunity to share the gospel. Simple prayer. God, give me an opportunity. I prayed three days, and God gave me an opportunity after three days. Number two, care. Live out your faith by establishing relationships and showing compassion. That's all. It's, all, it's, it's really that simple. And lastly, share. Be ready to share the gospel at any time, but don't force it. Remember, don't force it. Just share it. You got the resources. I gave a handful of, to people, told them to go grab them. I saw some people grabbing them. Men, you can put it in your wallet, and you can share the gospel. We can be imitators. We live out the life 
Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God when we see on earth. Paul proclaimed the gospel, starting churches, growing disciples, strengthening the churches, and helping elders grow in all these local, local church plants. And you and I have the same opportunity today, but the Thessalonians did that as well. So we got to see that work happen. May we look to God to be imitators of Christ. May we share and proclaim the gospel, and may it change in us. Let me, let me give you an opportunity. I want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. I want to give you a couple of seconds here. Sometimes we forget the message or we go home and we get busy. I want to give you an opportunity right now for 20 seconds. I just want you to pray that God, opportunity to share the gospel with someone this week. I just want to give you 20 seconds to pray that. Number two, I want you to think of someone in your life that you know you need to share the gospel with. Again, etch that on your heart. If you were writing it down right now, you could write that person's name down. I want to share a story with you. I wrote someone's name down at a conference two years ago who's in this building right now, who's in this room right now. Pastor who I work with in the pastoral network said, I want you to write it down. He talked about the gospel. Two months later, that person came to faith in Christ. I asked God to give me a name. I wrote it down. That person knows who person is in this room. I shared that story. That person got baptized here. That person is beginning to walk with the Lord. All we need to do is ask God for an opportunity. He wants you and I to grow in sharing the gospel. It's doesn't, it doesn't begin and end here. It can begin here, but it needs to end with you. You and I need to share the gospel. Call to it. It's a command. You've got to live on the edge. It's not optional. You want to see a revival in this church? You've got to proclaim the gospel. You want to see a revival in this church? You've got to read the word of God. You want to see a revival in this church? We've got to be praying. Can't expect 9% of us reading and seeing movement of God. Can't expect three to five minutes of an average Christian praying and seeing a movement of God. We need to see a movement of God. But we've got to trust him. We need to pray. We need to care. We need to share. Father, I pray that this week that would change our lives. May you give us opportunities in the name of Jesus Christ for Grace Church Waldorf to share the gospel and reach others for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.